everybody. Good to see you tonight. Glad you're here. Take a few moments and pray and then see what we have, what God might reveal to us, what he might say to us during our time of Bible study. So let's pray. Father, thanks for your love tonight. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your interest in our lives. Uh, thank you for uh, just caring for us and showing us care every day. We thank you, God, for uh, revealing more and more of who you are to us. I pray that we would have just an openness about us in our hearts, our minds, uh, to receive more and more of what you want to show us, what you want to tell us. And I pray, God, that we would have a better idea, a better view of you when we leave here tonight than we did when we came. So I just ask God for revelation. I ask God for understanding. I pray that we'd be open to what you want to say and what you want to do. So, God, we ask that you'd have your way. We welcome you. Pray, God, we ask you to teach us. We ask you to empower us. We ask you to anoint us, God, to learn and receive. We give you thanks tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to John, Gospel of John, chapter 9. John, chapter 9. Reminder. Uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com that's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study all one word you go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail and we'd love to hear from you could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you need a Bible, you can take one off the table. They are available for your use. John chapter 9. And I need a volunteer to read verse 25. John chapter 9 and verse 25. All right, thanks. Now, this is, uh, this is a situation where there was a man who had been blind from birth, uh, who Jesus had healed. And so he had, uh, people had seen him, known that he had been healed. Uh, this is a work that Jesus did. And the Pharisees were upset about it. The religious leaders were upset about it. And so they had called in the man's parents. Now, this is a grown man. He was blind since birth. He had been blind the whole time, a grown man. And so they called in his parents just to confirm, is this your son? Yes. Was he, he, was he blind from birth? Yes. Well, that's impossible. So they talked to him because he's old enough. 
They asked him, they said, tell us, is Jesus a sinner? They wanted, they, they brought up all this stuff. And they were concerned about certain points of theology. They were concerned about certain political points. They were concerned about certain things that they were trying to get these people to help or to somehow confirm or not confirm or whatever it is they were going to do. But they missed the main point. The main point was this guy got healed. And, and so I want to look at how this unfolds and I want to look at this man's response to these religious people. Because I think it's instructive to us. I think it really speaks to us about what our response is in the world that we live in. What our response is around certain types of questions. What questions matter, what questions don't. Things that people see, hear, say that don't need a response. There, there are lots of things like that. And so I just want to look and see that uh, through this passage uh, that... Uh, we have a guy who I think does a great job in answering the questions that are put to him. And so, as you begin these verses, uh, whoever read that, verse 25, it says, Where this man was a sinner or no? Did most of your Bibles say that? Okay, or no is added. That's not really in the language of the original. And he was just basically saying whether or not this guy is a sinner, where this guy is a sinner, I don't, I don't know. And and he likely didn't believe that because there was a, a part of this earlier on where he said that Jesus was a prophet. He at least knew that. And so he he knew that, that Jesus was somebody that God was using. He knew that Jesus was somebody that God had used to heal him. He knew that he was blind and now he can see. That's basically what he knew. And so answering their questions, it was... This is his perspective. Understand he's a beggar. He's uneducated. There's no way to educate the blind at this point. He was a beggar because there was nothing for them to do. And also within their culture, he was considered a sinner because he was blind. Because they wanted to somehow conveniently explain why someone was disabled. And so within their culture, the way that they conveniently explained why someone was disabled was that, well, they were a sinner. And since he was blind from birth, that what really was the problem was his parents were sinners, you see. And so that's how they would explain that. That's how they would get an understanding of it. Now, whether or not they knew the parents didn't matter. Did they know they were sinners? Well, obviously. Why? Because he's blind. Do you understand what I'm saying? So they started with an assumption if you're following what I'm saying, they started with an assumption and then they gathered different, inf different information to explain the assumption. That's not how the scientific method works exactly. All right. I mean, they, they, they came to a conclusion and then they just went around about trying to gather enough information to confirm their conclusion. Uh, now, unfortunately... This passes for science now, too. An argument for now, too. People don't really understand anymore how things work. Like, like how the scientific method works. How critical inquiry works. How to really come to a place where we can ask a real question and then get a real answer. And people just really don't understand how that works. And so what they do is they inject, like you see happening here... They inject, well, they injected theology. It was the first thing they injected, but then they 
injected things like politics, or they injected whatever they're going to inject into it, and made it a question about those kind of things instead of just a question about truth. And so uh, the answers that they were being given, I think, were awesome because this guy, he answers him in truth. He didn't answer him the question in theology. He didn't answer a question in politics. He didn't answer a question in any of the things that they were really trying to get him to say. He just told the truth. And and to me, that that was the most important thing. So he was nobody. This was his perspective, but he was nobody. He was a beggar. He was uneducated. And and so the parents, uh, they had asked the parents, this inquiry had asked the parents, said, well, do you, what do you think about Jesus? So like, we don't know about Jesus. All we know is that that's our son. And he was born blind, but now he can see. How he sees, we don't know. But you can ask him. He's plenty old enough to tell you. Okay? So they confine themselves to matters of fact and certain knowledge. And so they come to the blind man and they said, Okay, well, you, now you tell us that Jesus is bad and that we're good. You tell us that this guy is a sinner and that we're, we're nice people. You tell us those kind of things. He's like, well, I don't know anything about that. Say, whether he's a sinner, you know, I, I don't know. He's like, I'll tell you this, though. I was blind, but now I can see. You see, he maintained himself in truth. And all he did was just tell the truth. And it was this truth that he was telling that I believe set the, the people that were inquiring of him back on their heels and put an onus of, of proof onto them. In other words, they caused their own problem in this. By trying to trap him into saying something that he wasn't prepared to say, he just told the truth, and by telling the truth, he caused a problem for the people that were trying to trap him. And there's something to be learned from that. And so I'm just going to leave that there for a second, but think about that. It's like you, you read his answer, there's nothing really, there's nothing magical about this guy's answer, right? He's like, I don't know. He's like, I just know that I was blind, but now I see. What, are you going to argue with him? What are you going to say? Oh, and that didn't happen? Because they were trying to tell him, now you think about this for a second. They were trying to tell him that Jesus didn't heal him, right? That's what they were trying to tell him. Because he couldn't possibly do that. Because he's bad and they're good and he's dumb and they're smart and, and he's the best and they're the you know, or he's the worst and they're the best or whatever it is. And so he couldn't have possibly done that. And so they're trying to convince this guy, say, all right, well, tell us. He didn't really do this. But the guy's just like, hey, hey, I was blind, but now I can see. I mean, I was blind just a few hours ago. For my whole life, since birth, I've been blind until today. And now I can see. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Now, whatever gymnastics that you're doing, whatever mental leaps that you're taking, whatever's happening, you can keep doing those and you can jump through those and you can do some somersaults and some flips about it. Like, I'm not involved in that. What I'm trying to tell you is a simple truth. I was this way. Now I'm different. That's all I'm telling you. The rest, you want to argue about it? Argue about it. You want to get upset about it? Get upset about it. You want to get mad about it? Get mad about it. All I'm telling you is, 
I was blind, now I can see. All right. So by doing that, he let them know a couple things. One, their theology was of no concern to him. No concern. Didn't care. Remember, he's uneducated. He never never been in school. They couldn't teach blind people. All right? They didn't have the means. And so this guy, his only job he's ever known or had his whole life is a beggar. That's all he could do. And so he would sit around and he would beg because he couldn't see. Now, these aren't like the guys down at 690, okay? Those guys can see. This guy literally could do nothing else within their society. There was no job. There was nothing for him to do. It was impossible for him to work. And so all he did was sit there, and that's all he did. Full-time job, I'm going to beg all day long. That's his experience base. That's his education base. That's what he knows. So their theology was of no interest to him whatsoever. He didn't need to know any of that stuff. He didn't need to know about why they didn't think Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't need to know that they thought Jesus was born in Nazareth, but he was really born in Bethlehem. They were mistaken. They didn't need to know any of that. Didn't need to know. Didn't need to know any of the theology. Didn't need to know any of that kind of stuff. In fact, he doesn't even waste the energy to somehow try to dispute their assertion. All right? So they're asserting something about Jesus. He doesn't even argue with them about it. He just asserts what he knows about Jesus. That's all. Like they want to talk about him. They want to say he's this, he's that, he's not this, he's not that. He did this. It was impossible for him to do that. He couldn't have done that. He said this. Oh, he's involved in these things. He heals on the Sabbath. We all know all these things about him. It's impossible. He could possibly do any of these things. He doesn't care about any of that. Doesn't care. Doesn't matter. Why are you going to argue about it? You know what he wanted to say to him? What he did say to him? This is what happened to me. This is what happened to me. I was blind. Now I see. He simply asserts what he knows. That's it. That's it. You know, we run a system of evangelism based on, at least partially, on this verse. And that system of evangelism that we run is based on the fact that we do not care about someone else's theology. Don't care. I'm not going to argue with you about it. I don't care about it. You want to argue with me about it? I don't want to argue with you about it. I don't care. I don't care. You believe that. Awesome. Keep believing that. Go right ahead. I'm not talking to you about that. I'll tell you what I do know, though. Jesus did this in my life. I was this way, now I'm this way. This is what Jesus has done in my life. There you go. That's all I got to say. That's it. And so like this whole idea of trying to argue with people, where'd that come from? I don't know. But I tell you what, it didn't come from here. It didn't come from this. Because you got the, one of the most uneducated people in town. Jesus healed him. Jesus, he opened his eyes so he could see a man born blind from birth could see one of the most uneducated beggars, just least productive people in town. And you got that guy, right? Jesus did something in his life. Well, he didn't know anything about theology. Doesn't care. But he's still got a story to tell, doesn't he? Well, you might not know a lot about a lot of things. But you still got a story to tell. It's your story. Tell it. What's your story? What is your story? And whatever your story is, that's your story and you tell it. 
That's what you need to know. So you do need to know your own story if you can handle that. If you can handle kind of thinking it through, thinking about what your story is, thinking about what God's done in your life, thinking about what Jesus has done in your life. If you can think that through and be able to tell that story, good enough. Good enough. And, and so this guy, again, there's nothing to argue about. He just tells his story. They got a story to tell about theology. doesn't care. Theology is not important to him. He didn't, has never studied theology. He doesn't care about theology. He's not going to argue about it. Whatever. Whatever. Well, we think this, this, and this about Jesus. Can't really speak to that. I can tell you what he did in my life, though. Their politics were of no interest to him. Because this is a political statement that's being made. Uh, the Messiah was supposed to be a political figure. The Messiah was supposed to be someone that was going to lead the people. The Messiah was supposed to be a deliverer. The Messiah was supposed to be all these things. Because you got to understand, in their society, the religious, spiritual side of things was intertwined with the political side of things. I know we don't think that way in our country necessarily, but they did. And so when they talked about the Messiah, they were talking about a spiritual leader, but they are also talking about a political leader. Like King David, he was the political leader, but he was also a spiritual leader. Or Solomon was a political leader, but was also a spiritual leader. You think about all of the kings of Judah, all the kings of Israel, they were spiritual leaders as well as being political leaders. And so those two things were intertwined with them. That's why I got them messed up all the time. Because you get the wrong guy in charge, he's going to do the wrong stuff. And all the people are going to do the wrong stuff. And so that became an issue for them. But he, he didn't want anything to do with that. There was nothing to argue about. See, they wanted to argue. See, they didn't want this guy in charge. They didn't want people following this guy. They didn't want this guy having any kind of say or they didn't want this guy having any kind of, of, of any kind of influence over what was going on in their society. And any level, spiritual, physical, political, any level, they didn't want anything to do with it. They were the ones in charge. And he threatened that. And so they didn't want people listening to him. They didn't want, didn't want people following after him. They didn't want people believing that he was from God. They didn't want any of those things. They didn't want word about a blind guy that could see that, that Jesus healed. They didn't want that word getting out. And so they were doing everything they could to try and, and try and stop that word from getting out. And so they were very biased about what they believed. They believed something. And so they were going to go about any way, shape, or form that they could in order to prove it and back it up. So what's the political side of this? Who cares? Not the blind guy didn't care. He just makes a declaration. And I believe declarations are important. I believe that, that we will always have, I don't care who you are, how educated, uneducated, uh, up-to-date, uh, or, or in the past you are, it doesn't matter. The, the fact of the matter is, is that our knowledge will always be imperfect. But we will always know certain things that happen to us. That no matter if you know the latest, the latest on whatever it is that somebody wants to argue with you about. You know, people want to argue about stuff. Like, like why? Why does somebody want to argue with you about Noah's Ark? Do you know? I don't know. Why does somebody want to argue with me about Noah's Ark? But they do. They want to argue about Noah's Ark. So? 
And so, as up to date as I could possibly be on Noah's Ark, my knowledge is still imperfect. Right? I'm not going to have the latest archaeological find. I'm not going to know what it is. I'm not going to know what the latest thing is that somebody believes, the latest theory or the latest thought about it, or the latest volume of of scientific American Christian or whatever it comes out in. I have no idea. But I'm not going to know. But I don't need to know. If I'm interested in it, I could study it. But I'm not really that interested in it. Somebody wants to argue with me about it. I I really don't care. I can make a declaration, though, about the certain things I do know. Certain things I know about Jesus. Certain things I know that God's done in my life. Certain things that I can speak to because I have personally experienced them and I know. And I can just tell that story. And that's what this guy did. He just told that story. And he was also not interested in their petty power plays. That's kind of boring, you know. When you got like a bunch of guys and like fancy people, like powerful people, like seemingly powerful people fighting over the same piece of cheese, it's boring. And and so there's no, there's nothing to be gained. There's nothing that that really can can come from that that's any good. It's just boring. It's funny that they were trying to prove a negative. That's what these guys were doing because they were they're like assuming that well this can't be true. You got this blind guy that has been blind from birth, and and. You know, he says Jesus healed him. And there's other people that saw it, and they say Jesus healed him. And now he can see. Well, that can't be true. So let's prove that. That's kind of hard, right? That's just kind of hard to do that. And and the only way that happens is you start making arguments about why he can't be the Messiah. Or you make arguments based on why he can't possibly be this person, well, he's a sinner. He heals on the Sabbath. He's a sinner. He he picks grain on the Sabbath. He's a sinner. He he's declared that that he's greater than the Sabbath. He he's a sinner. He says that he and the Father are one. He's a blasphemer. He you know you can go down a list of things like that, and you can talk about what you believe that he says, or you can believe what whatever it is that you want to believe about him. So therefore, based on those things that I think are all wrong, there's no way he could have possibly healed this guy. When the fact of the matter is you've got a guy standing here that was blind from birth, they can now see. It takes a lot of gymnastics to, to prove a negative about something that's obviously true. But that's what they were doing. They were proving a negative statement about something that was obviously true. And this guy was proof of that. As I've talked about before, uh, and I mentioned this when we first started, we need to really regain an understanding of, of what matters, I think. I think we really need to regain an understanding of how to think. I think thinking is important. I think being able to think is important. So we're not just being led astray by opinions and by really weird things like correlations between things that may or may not have any meaning whatsoever. But we have to be able to think in order to do that. We have to be able to consider things. We have to be able to weigh things. We have to be able to to really sift through information. Because if you don't believe that you're being manipulated every time you read a news feed, you're wrong. 
You're just wrong. You are being manipulated. And, and there is someone with a perspective and someone with a point of view that they're trying to push that perspective on you. The old days of the, the news media being unbiased and the news media not uh, portraying a certain perspective on something but just reporting the facts, those days are long gone. These people are being taught in school that part of their job is to influence you to think right. And because they really believe that's part of their job, they throw a lot of time and effort into trying to figure out how to make you think right. And what's right? Well, it's the way they think. And so if you're not thinking right, then you need to be convinced. And you need to be persuaded. And then that becomes the job of the media, is to persuade you to think right. Nobody wants to believe that. Nobody over a certain age. And, and it's hard because people just want to believe. They turn on the TV or they read it uh, in the news source or whatever that it's just an unbiased, it's not opinionated, it's just the unbiased, and, and, and those are just the facts. That's what they want to believe. They want to believe that with their whole heart, but it's just not the case anymore. Yeah, we used to have editorial uh, where you could give an opinion. You know, you write a letter to the editor or an editor from the newspaper could write an editorial and give you some opinion on some subject, but it was labeled an editorial and you understood that was somebody's opinion. Well, they don't do that. I mean, they still have editorials, but they, they do that in every article. They do that in, in every news story. They do that in almost everything that they do. And, and I'm not talking about just one media source. I'm not talking about one news source. I'm not just talking about one thing like that. It's all like that. Whether you think you're conservative or liberal or you think you whatever you think you are, they're all like that. I mean, just as a little hint, I don't you know, I don't watch any news without thinking someone's convinced trying to convince me of something. I don't read any article and let but I'm thinking to myself, what are they trying to convince me of in this? What are they trying to tell me? And as Christians, I think we can get caught up in that. As Christians, I think we can get caught up in, in the ways of whatever's going on in the world and whatever's happening. But that's just not our job. That's not my job. That's not your job. I, I think we, we need to be aware of what's happening. That's not even the Bible talks about, that we're to be as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. That's what the Bible, that's what the Bible says about us, that we need to know how to think. And we need to know how to sift through information. And we need to know how to understand things and, and, and gain perspective on things. But that should not be our job. I just think that's just a part of being human. That's part of living in the world that we live in. I do believe, however, that our job is to spread the gospel. I believe it's our job to share Jesus with people. I believe it's our job to see people set free and delivered. I think it's our job to, to see people healed. I mean, I do. I believe all those things. And I believe that, that introducing people to Jesus and bringing a relationship with Him, that's part of our job. And I think that's an important part of our job. And that's what we need as a people to be majoring on in our lives. And the way that I'm seeing to do that through this passage is that we just stick to what Jesus has done in our lives. I'm not going to argue about this thing or that thing or this petty little thing. I'm not going to argue with you about this, the politics of it all or the theology of it all. I'm not going to argue with you about any of this stuff. I don't need to argue with you about this stuff, but I will tell you the truth. I will declare and make declaration of truth from my life to yours. This is what Jesus 
has done for me. And that's exactly what he says. You know, you think about Jesus' mercy. Jesus' mercy is always more obvious to people that have really received it. In other words, i got a need. I've got a need. And if I have a need, whatever that need is, this guy was blind. And Jesus healed him. And for the first time in his life, his whole life, he is an infant to an adult male, that is his whole life, grown man, that, that he could finally see that day. That's real mercy. And, and there's a reality to that mercy that, that I mean, he's not going to deny that. That is not going to happen. It is not going to happen that he's going to deny that kind of mercy. He can't. And, and that need was, his need was so great. His need was so great for Jesus to intervene into his life. And he intervened in his life and bam, he, he could see. There's no denying that. He's not going to deny it. He's going to proclaim that. And there's something about that. You know, Jesus, and we hate to hear this, but Jesus talking about, he's like, well, you know, you think about different debts are forgiven. And and he's talking about like this one guy, he had this huge debt forgiven, and then this other guy had a little bitty debt forgiven. And he asked, well, which do you imagine is going to love that guy more that did the forgiven? He's like, the guy with the greater debt. Jesus is like, right, right. And so as you look at our lives, like people that have been forgiven much, I mean, and the Bible says this too, they love much. People that have been forgiven much and been able to receive that mercy and been able to see that mercy at work in their life, that, that's, you're not going to deny that. I don't care what you do. You're going to threaten me? Well, you can threaten me, but I can't deny what God's done. You're going to threaten my family? Well, you can threaten my family, but I still can't deny what God has done. And they, they could try whatever they wanted with this guy. This is the point I'm trying to make, is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they could say and do whatever it is they're going to do, but this guy, his life had been altered by the mercy that he had received from Jesus, and there was no denying that. He didn't even try to deny that. He didn't play their game, but he made the declaration he needed to make, Say, I'm not going to debate theology with you. I'm not going to talk politics with you. And I'm not going to get into your petty struggle for your power. But I'll tell you this, this one thing I do know. And this is what he said. This is what I do know. I will make a positive declaration of this one thing. And by one thing, it didn't mean that's the only thing he knew. I mean, obviously he could speak so he knew language, right? He knew how to beg. That's what he'd been doing his whole life. He probably knew a bunch of stuff. But by saying this one thing... What he's saying, this is the most important thing right now. This is the one thing that's central in my life. This is the one thing that's central in my mind right this second, right in this moment, right now. This one thing, the most important thing that I do know, I was blind. Me, my issue. This was my issue. This is me, literally me, my limitation, my disability, my handicap. He was a well-known blind guy. Because the same guy sitting there begging from you every day, you're going to go by there and you're going to see that guy. He's going to be, you know, temple famous or whatever, wherever he was, right? And so you see the same blind guy sitting there and he's going by and everybody knows who the blind guy is. And so that's the blind guy. He's the blind guy. That was his main thing. He was known for being blind. Since birth. No one... No one had ever seen this guy with the ability to see until this day. 
but they all knew who he was. Nobody had ever known him to be able to see until that day. And he was a grown man that day. So all those kids that grew up at the same time he did, he never could see. All those people that had been around, those adults that watched him grow up, they were friends of the family. All of them, they'd never seen him be able to see. And yet he could see today. And, I, and all of those people that had known him, he was a famous blind guy. He was blind. It was his issue, his limitation, his disability, his handicap from birth to manhood. And yet you look at him and, and everybody knew, everybody knew something had happened in his life. And yet they wanted to somehow change it. Well, that's impossible. No, no, it literally just happened. Well, that can't be. It was. And everybody knew. And, and I think it's interesting, the blind guy is, and, and they're not used to running into people like this blind guy. The Pharisees aren't. Usually the Pharisees, when they make their, their bluster and, and when they accuse somebody and when they yell at somebody, they're pretty much telling you, I'm going to ruin your life. I'm going to ruin your life. You better come around and you better back up our story and you better you know, come into line or I'm going to ruin your life. Well, this guy was obstinate, independent, right? Why? Because he had nothing to lose. He was blind a few hours ago. He literally had nothing. To, he was the blind guy and he could see. And so what are they going to threaten him? They're going to threaten him? Threaten him. They're going to make his life terrible. He's been a beggar his whole life. It doesn't get much worse than that. What, are they going to make him a tax collector? I mean, how are they going to ruin his life? His life was terrible up until that point. There's no threat. There's nothing to threaten him with. He has nothing to lose. And so there's nothing to lose. He has nothing to gain. There's just whatever. All he's going to do is just tell the truth. This is who I am. This is my issue. This is my disability. This is my, my limitation. This is my handicap. And you all know it. Every person there knew it. I was blind, but I see you now. He's been healed. He's been restored. And he's free. And he made it, as I said before, he literally made it the problem of the Pharisees. To explain the fact that he could see, but he wasn't healed. How'd you like to have to explain that? Yeah. That is a special kind of stupid. And he didn't bother to jump into that ring. And I think that's wisdom. He didn't jump into that fray with them. He didn't jump into that fight with them. He didn't even try to. Why bother? Why bother? If you can put somebody in a position where they got to try to explain that you can see now, but you couldn't, and everybody knows that, but you're not really healed, well, let them try to explain that. Because they're going to look like bigger banana heads trying to explain that than you could ever make them look by arguing with them about it. There's nothing to argue about. Nothing. You know, I, I, I talk about this sometimes about how you know some of the the people think they have the smartest arguments about God when in in two seconds they can be the dumbest arguments about God. 
Because the bottom line is that most of the time they are the dumbest arguments about God. Just let them run into it. That's what happens. You know, back years and years and years ago, as I, I've said this many times, I, I used to stand up on a campus and just be like, okay, you can ask me any question you want. Like in a student union. I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, open question time, whatever you want to ask, you can ask. Well, I don't care what the subject is or anything else, just ask whatever question you want to ask. And I, just over the years, the guys that I would say that in front of, so a lot of pastors and people, you're like, how in the world would you get up and do that? I'm like, well, I don't know, just, it's just, because people generally have, they generally have the same questions over and over again. You don't think that, but they do. And the reason I know that is because I'd put myself in that position and they'd ask the same questions over and over again. Like I, I'd do that in Fredonia. There'd be X number of questions that would be asked in Fredonia. I'd do that in Buffalo. There'd be X number of questions in Buffalo or Rochester or Albany or down in Ithaca or wherever it was. There would be X number of questions. New York City, X number of questions would be asked during those times. Because we basically have some of the same questions. And, and unless the person was really trying to be, you know, kind of a, and this would happen every now and then, there'd be like a smart aleck in the crowd, and they would ask some question that would just be kind of stupid. You know, like, uh, who knows what kind of question. Uh, like a, like a weird math question or proof or theorem or something. And, and not that that's a dumb question, just that what, what does that matter? Like, who cares? And, and so what would happen would be is that the crowd, a lot of times, would self-regulate those kind of questions. They're like, well, what is the uh, quadruple root of blah, 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 blah? They'd just say, oh, shut up, you know? <laughs> and then somebody else would go. Like, we want a real question. We want something that we can actually use. We want something that means something. And then somebody would ask a question, and that's like, good, that's, the, that's what we're trying to do here. Right? And, and so it became obvious that most of us human beings, whether we're from western New York, the southern tier, northern New York, and Watertown, New York City, Long Island, wherever we're from, and I'm just talking New York State because that's mainly where I did that kind of stuff. No matter where we're from and, and international students, whoever, we have some of the same basic questions. And what's interesting about those basic questions is that most of those basic questions that people have can be answered with a declaration from your life. It wasn't just my life, it's your life. And you have declarations that you can make from your life that can answer those questions. And it may not be, you know, a technical answer, like a, a theological answer. It may not be a political answer. It may not be kind of a, an answer that, that really gets into the minutia of whatever the question was, but it, it's going to be an answer that actually answers the question in a human way for a human being to take hold of that and actually maybe, 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 maybe see something happen in their lives. And so to me, that's where the power is in making these kind of declarations. And that's why this guy is awesome. Because if you think, if you, you hear that stupid voice, well, you don't know enough, you're not educated enough. This guy had no education. Well, you, you, don't, you don't have enough experience. The only experience this guy had was begging. He's a beggar. He's a blind beggar. He did nothing else with his life, his whole life. Well, I don't, I don't feel like I have enough, uh, I'm old enough. Well, he's a grown man. 
He's been blind since birth. I mean, what, what do you mean? And, and so he got around, well, other people are a lot smarter than me. Well, those Pharisees are well-educated. Those religious leaders were well-educated. But somehow, some way, this guy, just by making a truthful declaration, backed them into a corner where they had nothing else to say. Somehow. They were the smart guys. And how come they ended up looking like the bigger banana heads? Well, all he did was tell a story. All he did was make a declaration of truth. All he did was just speak what he had seen and heard and known. That was it. And that is the wisdom of this passage. That's it. And and I know you could look at it 18 different ways. I know that you could look at it, you know, turn it around, look at it this way, that way, or whatever else. But the real bottom line to this passage is that the truth of it and the wisdom of it has to do in the simplicity of it. And a lot of things are like that. You boil them down to their simplest matter. And that is what makes the difference. And that's what makes the difference here. The simplest matter that is going on here is that this is what happened to me and that's what I'm going to tell you. And that's all I'm going to talk to you about. That's it. You see, the other's opinion of Jesus, whoever the other is, in this case it was the Pharisees and the religious leaders, their opinion of Jesus didn't change what Jesus had done in this guy's life, did it? No. Not one bit. They didn't like Jesus. Did, did that mean Jesus didn't heal this guy? No. Nope. They thought Jesus was a heretic. Did that mean Jesus didn't heal this guy? No, he did heal him. They thought Jesus was uh, using the power of darkness in order to, to, to see things happen. Did that change the fact this guy was born blind but now he could see? No. Nope. Did change one thing about the reality that happened here in this guy's life. Their opinion did not matter. And, and I want you to hear me tell you this. They're the experts here. And, and you have been conditioned to believe that expert opinion should sway you. You are conditioned to believe that. Thankfully, this guy was just way too uneducated and way too, I don't know, out of the loop to allow that to happen. All he knew was, this is what happened to me, and this is what I'm telling you. Their opinion of Jesus didn't matter. Their opinion of Jesus didn't sway him. So what did I say about him? Independent and obstinate. Nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. His life was ruined already. He had nothing to lose. And so I can only encourage you not to allow the opinion of the other change what you know. Anybody have any comments or questions that you want to make? We get that in the back of the synagogue. When I start talking about religious, we just go, we're going to take religion, we'll put it over here, and we're just going to talk about that. Yeah. And it just diffuses it. Right. Sometimes people just want to argue. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody? Yeah. If you can't, if you're 
Well, in my, this is my opinion, but the religious side of things exists so that people can just do what they want to do. And so, and so they will cling to the religious side of things because they just want to do what they want to do. And it shrouds it in enough, whatever you want to call it, terminology, shrouds it in enough spirituality or whatever to justify just doing what you want to do. When in fact, it's just that selfishness and it's that rebellion that pushes it. So, Jesus threatened the status quo by just telling the truth. In simple, in simple terms that people could understand. And by telling the truth in simple terms that people could understand, it threatened the political power base of the Pharisees. It threatened their position. They didn't like that. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, sometimes people will say to me, uh, I'm not religious. And I'll just say, well, neither am I. People just like scum. So they either want to change the subject as opposed to debate. Right. And when I say I'm not either, they're like, really, it's almost like slapping something in the general way. Right. So, huh? Right. Let me just tell your story. What's your story? That's one thing I mentioned earlier is you gotta know your story. We all have you know a story about Jesus in our lives. That's our story. We own it. It's mine. And whatever your opinion is of Jesus doesn't change my story. Yeah, go ahead. Right. They're like, no, it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. Uh-huh. And then they'll try and figure it out. Like, oh, well, someone must have faked it. You must have gotten help. Uh-huh. You mean like they were doing to this guy? Yeah. Yeah. Like they have this idiot, and then they try and find and piece together evidence. Right. Yeah. 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 People will bend over backwards trying to support that. Whatever it is they want to believe. I think it's important for us to keep having the experience and not get caught up in the institutional structure. Right. What are we going to share? What God did. Right. Always. Right. Showed me what he's doing now. You want to be a part of that, what he's doing now. That tells a lot. Otherwise, 
And I think it's cool because we do a share time every week. Have something to share. Right. Yeah, I've mentioned this before. I used to keep a uh, a notebook. I had one of those spiral notebooks that I'd write down miracles that God did. And I just started writing them down. Cause I thought, well, that'd be important, you know, that maybe I might forget. So, or something, you know, so I started writing them down. <laughs> but as I was doing it, um, I didn't even get the ones I remembered written down, right? And and I felt like I just said, stop. <laughs> and so I just stopped. And and the whole idea was that, and this is what he spoke over me, he just said, you need new miracles. Go get the new ones. Yeah. Yep. You know? Yeah. So that was that for the notebook. I think I still might have it. I saved it not because there's like, a couple of miracles in it, but because it reminds me that the book's still open. Yeah, and I didn't, it's just live, you live it out. And so, what story are you going to tell? You know, whatever. It's the story. What story is that? What day is it? I don't know. There's probably something today. And, uh, Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I was part of an organization for years that they were living off of their predecessors. In other words, I was young in the organization in my twenties, and most of the people that I'd run into in ministry were in their fifties. And, but they would tell stories about stuff that happened at some point and all these things that happened. And, you know, some of the stuff that happened, though, it happened 70 years before or 30 years before and there were just stories that were being passed down or things that they experienced 20, 30 years before I'd met them and all this other stuff. And, and I was always challenging and, and I felt led to challenge people. It's like, well... You got to have your own story today. Like, what's God doing today? What what kind of power are we going to see today? And and so that became a theme of some of my ministry in the churches. I was really encouraging some kind of a uh, an eruption of the miraculous, an eruption of the supernatural, an eruption of what God wanted to say, what God wanted to do today, not living off of what He did yesterday. And I think you think in terms of, biblically, you think in terms of manna. You know, what we're getting fed. Well, the manna only lasted that day. So, let's go out and get some more. That's just uncomfortable. All right. All right, let's pray. Thanks for sharing that stuff. Father, we thank you for uh, just... uh, the opportunity that we have as your people to live a dynamic life. Uh, thank you, God, that there are those that don't want us to live a dynamic life. There are those that are threatened by a dynamic life. There are structures that are threatened by a dynamic life. There are 
uh, just pet ways of living that are threatened by a dynamic life. And so, God, I pray that we'd be a people that would really just recognize we have nothing to lose. Uh, we are uh, just a, a people that we came out of whatever we came out of, but if it was that good, we'd have probably went back. It just wasn't that good. And so we don't want to go back. We don't want that life. We, we've decided that. And you just, you've done something in us that, that has changed us. And so we recognize that. We recognize your mercy on our life. We recognize your deliverance in our life. We recognize your grace in our life. We recognize your power in our life. We recognize your provision over our lives. We recognize the presence of Jesus in us and through us. And so I pray tonight that we would live dynamically. We would live in the understanding of, God, you're moving in our lives today. And so as, as this guy makes his declaration, I pray that we'd make our declarations. As this guy didn't have anything to do with the, the petty arguments that were going on, that, that we would just make our declarations that we'd speak truth, God. We speak truth about the living God. We speak truth about the miraculous God. We speak truth about the God who loves us and who cares for us. We speak truth about the God who does the impossible. We speak truth about the God who provides. Whether they want to believe or they don't want to believe, we just continue making the declaration that this is my truth, this is my life, this is who I am, this is what I can say. Because God, this is what you've done in my life. And I'm going to make that declaration. And so God, I thank you that we don't have to prove any negative or positive or anything else. We just have to say this is the truth. This is who we are. And so, God, I just ask that uh, we have boldness about us uh, and that we would cast down the lies that would try to keep us stagnant and try to keep us quiet. I pray that we would be loud. I pray that we would speak truth. Ask this, God, that you would use us in the world that we live in. Man, the confusion, the lies craziness. I pray that we would speak truth, light, and life. For ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool. You're mm-hmm. super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the community that. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah. 